The Heritage end-of-year fund drive is officially on. Become a member today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Good evening and welcome to Fun Men About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. My name is Chris Kuzmi. My co-host is my lovely wife, Mary Isette, and Rachel Jacobs. Uh, we are not in the studio today. We have a couple pre-records. Um, but this season, all seasons, are made possible by you, the listener, the donor. It's not too late to get a donation in to support the radio station at heritageradionetwork.org. Hit the beating heart at the top right of your screen if you go to the website. Um, the programming on this, on this, on this network is, is just so much to be proud for. We are so happy to be part of this family, so happy to share uh, what we're learning uh, together through our episodes. And uh, apologies again for being such a busy season that, that uh, our episodes are somewhat few. It is currently December 2018. We're in the holiday season. And uh, anyway, just thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. Please go to do- donate at heritageradionetwork.org. Uh, the beating heart, the top right. Uh, without further ado, I give you today's episode featuring hops of New York State and also brewing in India in the second half. Cheers, Fermenta About It. Hello, good evening, welcome to Fermenta About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm here at Fifth Hammer Brewing Company uh, on site uh, with my friend Chris Holden from New York Hop Guild. Uh, New York Hop Guild, what is New York Hop Guild uh, and, and beyond that? Well, let's start, actually, let's start with you, Chris. Who are you? How long have you been farming? What got you into hops? And how did the Hop Guild form? So uh, I own Crooked Creek Hops Farm in, uh, in Addison, New York, which is uh, west of Corning, Steuben County. Um, we started like six years ago. We were going to do a brewery because um, of farm brewer's license and grew up on a farm, got tinkering around with the hops, and that kind of took over. So we kind of continued to expand with, uh, with that brand. And then uh, I was approached about teaming up with some other farmers and basically making more of a marketplace uh, so we could basically make sure that our stuff gets out to, to the consumers um as we were you know yields were going up quality was going up um sales were not going up for everybody so that's kind of where you know i was approached to do this and so we formed the new york hop guild myself and uh, uh will it hop and green to start it off and basically we're grow our own merchant company um for uh new york state hop farmers as well as some of the other farms that we've partnered up around uh, the country with in michigan and uh uh, Yakima Valley so far. That's 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 amazing. <laughs> we've had a couple hop shows uh, throughout the years, and we're really excited about the growth in New York State itself. But what we haven't talked too much is about is kind of the history of of, of hop growing in New York. Um, why is New York a good state for hop growing? So obviously, that's the first place it was. Uh, they were grown basically um, when they came over on the ship uh, from from Europe, and uh, I'd have to say that. Right now, the diversity of the different areas uh, that they can grow in and it, it, it not be um, spread out too far over a bunch of different states. Um, we basically have two or three different states worth of um, soil, geography, all that stuff built into a much smaller area, even though we're, uh, most of the farms are spread out 
a lot more and uh, we can fit more to our, I guess you could say, in there as well. Um, that's one of the biggest things, trying to distinguish our stuff compared to other people's stuff and, and trying to find the right growing regions for each one of those particular hops. Um, and, uh, um, you know, New York being, what, 40,000 acres years and years and years ago, um, late 1800s, and I don't know if we'll ever get back up to that mark, but it'd be, be cool to see, you know, a couple thousand acres at least. Why did that stop? They have 40, what stopped that 40,000? So they, they saw, most of the Germans, uh, from what I understand, started moving you know, south and uh, west into Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, and all the way out to you know, California, Oregon, Washington. So that kind of slowed it down a little bit. There was a couple different um, forms of disease, and there was a blight, and then basically prohibition ended it all. Um, federal government came in and said no more, no more hops, and everything got tore down. The trellises got tore down, and... Uh, you know, after Prohibition, um, there hasn't been a hop farm here until you know, Rick Peterson put one in about two decades ago. Wow. And are, are we scared of a blight again? Or do you think, uh... Not really. Um, there's a lot of good control measures out there. Um, we've got ways to make sure our plants are healthier through cultivation practices that we really didn't have you know, 200 years ago. So not really. I'd say that... Uh, the biggest thing right now is for all the farmers being newer at it, being the first generation doing this again, that uh, we've all got to figure up our techniques for particular areas, and then we can kind of go from there. Uh, the yields and the, and the quality is, is there, and it's, it's only improving. Right. I'm glad we're talking about generations of people, because when it comes to generations of hops and hop crops, uh, you know, the, the more, further, more generations, the, the better the crop tends to be, and the better the yields and uh, pounds per acreage you're able to produce. And that's a large part of sustainability, mm -hmm. uh, just as a business. What, um, what are some, hop, some of the hop types that grow, in your opinion, exceptionally well, uh, by way of uh, yielding, and then by way of flavor or excel at, uh, you know, desirable modern hop? So, yield-wise, in particular, Cascade grows exceptionally well here. We see well over 2,000 pounds an acre all the time. Um, even the guys that are newer at it, you know, they're getting yields that are just as good, if not better, than the guys out west. Um, and particularly for flavor characteristics, I would say New York State's a perfect area for Centennial. Centennial, um, Centennial growing in New York State has been wild. It's a... Uh, a lot more going on. There's more depth of flavor. There's not as much piney and floral notes. There's more citrus, fruit, uh, tropical fruit, um, and we just constantly, see, constantly see high oils. Like it doesn't matter what the alphas are. It just seems to be that the oils are always way up there, kind of like the big sexy hop. So we're really pumped about that. Um, those two in particular. So we'll kind of see how they play out going forwards. Mm -hmm. So. I have access to a lot of uh, New York State hops as a as a pro brewer. What is the what is the homebrew market for, like for for New York State hops? I think the you know for you know for me being a merchant, I guess uh, the best way to do that is to get hooked up more with a homebrew shop, um, so they can kind of market that a little bit more. Um, it is a little difficult for us to have someone on staff to be able to you know do up smaller packages and all right. that and organizing everything or even having a storefront to be able to sell it at so i think that's the best way to go um most of the processing facilities aren't quite set up to be able to do retail through ag and markets so that's another challenge um i think it's coming it's going to get there um best thing i can say right now is have those home brewers talk to the brewers themselves or come right to the farm and you know chit chat with farms and make a good relationship there that's right. the best way to for me to describe it right now. Right, right. Uh, you mentioned processing facilities. About how many processing facilities do we have in New York State? Um, and pelletizers. Like, I, I yeah, know that, that's a big yeah. thing for... Yeah. 
We have it's somewhere between five and ten. I know uh, in my area, uh, from Corning up to like Rochester area, there's three, and there's one in Central New York. There's one out on Long Island. Um, yeah, so there's at least five. Um, I know there was more, but I don't know if everybody's doing it as much anymore, um, which is good. Um, out west, you don't have you might have that many just in one small region in Yakima, but they're dealing with a lot more. But having more processors means that people don't have to travel quite as far. There's not as big of a footprint, which is nice. So, or if you only had a couple, you know, some people would have to travel ten hours almost. It seems like round trip to get their stuff processed and come home afterwards. So it's 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 needed for sure. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, is there currently more uh, acreage than there are, are, despite the footprint? Like, are people then waiting in line at these processing facilities, or is it organized pretty well in optimal times for harvest? Or is this one of the many challenges that we currently have for the state? I think it's organized pretty good. Um, there's a couple guys that are working right through a good amount of hops. Um, mm-hmm. They do a really good job. We process our own stuff as well, and that's about all we do. Um, we spread it out. I mean, we spread it out mostly because of uh, timing and what we've got going on elsewhere as well. So it's it's really not that difficult. We wrapped up about three weeks ago. But uh, we're also starting to see some differences in, in timing from harvest to the pellet facility and some of the hops maybe need a little bit more time. Um, and so we're, we're learning about that as some of the trips that we make out west. And um, hopefully over the next couple of years we can kind of get some of these things really dialed in and even... Um, you know, some of the varieties that are good make them even that much more better because of the fact that we're learning that side of it a little bit more. Right, right. The chemistry side, I guess you'd say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the chemistry side, you also mentioned terroir earlier, and I know we've had discussions offline, and I think we've even spoken about it on the show a couple of times, about how, how different certain characteristics are of, of hops that we think we know that are grown in New York State versus versus elsewhere. And how important is the distinction of, of saying New York State before... It's, uh, I, I think it's something awesome. Like, it's, uh, it's obviously you're not going to want to get a certain variety that doesn't resemble what you're used to because that's what it was basically grown upon, its popularity was grown upon. So, I think the best thing with us to do right now is to find those certain growing regions that do accentuate certain flavors, resembles the, the original rootstock from Yakima or Oregon or Idaho or even Germany. Um, and it just has its own little pizzazz, I guess, right. New York State pizzazz. And uh, with the different growing regions that we've seen, we have it kind of dialed into, for Western New York, about, it's about four, four growing regions. And they all have separate soil. The, the temp, temperatures and the, uh, the climate is, is basically the same. Um, obviously, year to year, you might get different rainfall or it might be drier in some regions or whatever. But um, I think that's helped out by the, the Great Lakes, really. Um, but it's, it's, it's nice to be able to see that just different soil will mm-hmm. accentuate certain flavors. And we can hopefully, going forward, we can expand on those areas to you know, bring out this New York, New York pizzazz to you guys at the breweries. Yeah, we definitely love the New York pizzazz. <laughs> um, so how many people are a part of the New York Hop Guild uh, that you represent currently? Or how many different farms, I guess? We, we represent six farms um, that we sell all of their stuff. We work with probably two or three other ones right now where we're, uh, we're contracting certain hops from them. And uh, they're kind of playing out their options to see which route they want to go, if they want to keep doing their own uh, marketing, or if they do want to work with us full-time. Um, we're not here to push anybody into it because it's, there's a big investment in everything and it's a little bit different. We're more of, you know, it, it, you, you be, as a farmer, you're going to become more of a cash crop farmer with us, right. but it's also saving a lot of these farms a lot of overhead, I guess you could say, um, instead of having to go out and market everything because that's... 
can get timely and costly. Sure. What are are there growing practices that you can do to leverage desirable traits from a hop uh, by way of early harvest picking, late harvest picking, and or nutrients to the soil or things of the like, or is it just kind of like a, not a crapshoot by year, but just trusting the soil and trusting the, 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 the natural evolution of, of a plant year over year? So the soil-wise, I don't know if there's any studies out there, but yes, I mean, you've got to have a consistent soil. You can't just one year throw a bunch of nitrogen at it, a bunch of fertilizer, and the next year you do nothing. Obviously, that's going to change things drastically. It's got to be, you've got to take care of your soil, um, whether how you're doing it, whether you're doing it through cultivation practices or more of an organic um, with cover crop and everything else. Either way, you've got to make sure you maintain your soil. Um, otherwise, yes, you'll have variations in flavor. Um, mentioning harvest dates, yes, that's one of the biggest ones. Um, and also training training dates. Um, if you change your training dates up too much, you're also going to have different what, flavors. What is a training date? Training is actually when we're taking and putting the bind or uh, tying the bind or yeah, tying the bind onto the string or twisting around the string. And uh, you know. Some like to be trained later on, and some can be trained later on, and some like to be trained earlier. So, uh, same thing with harvest. You can get different flavors um, with, with an earlier harvest compared to a late harvest. Um, we're seeing this with some different varieties as well, um, where some guys are wanting more of a, a late harvest compared to an early harvest. Or there's other varieties they want an early harvest compared to a late harvest. And one of the, the biggest characteristics we're seeing is usually earlier you're getting a little bit more brightness. For most varieties anyways later you're getting a little bit more of a, maybe a danky resin but if you get too far you're getting into like an onion and garlicky type gotcha. flavor yeah. so you don't want to go too far with it but there's a threshold there for a lot of the varieties i want to shout out our friends uh alex biederman and and uh, jeff lyons at kagan lantern and also uh jason sailor and they have a small little club where they they uh, are all using kind of the same hops uh, either sourced from you or any other state uh, new york state uh, hop grower, and they're trying these different hops at different parts in the process of, a, of the same grist. And I think it's a really fun experiment that, uh, or, or to be able to, on our end, we have to learn how to leverage or how to brew with with these to get what we want in the end, and what figuring out what the what the coolest way of expressing the hops within a medium that that uh, is desirable to drink. And I think that's a great thing. And that they're they're creating feedback for you guys. I and mean, that's one of the reasons you're down here right now is to kind of have meet on Monday, right? With the, yep. With yeah, we thing. met with them. I got to sit in on one of these uh, sensories that they did, and it was really interesting. The, the hop they featured was uh, Fogel, I think, from Alta Vista. Um, I think it's up near Albany. Um, and, yeah, there was a wide array of different beers that they had done between Alex and Jeff and, and obviously, uh, Jason and... Um, yeah, it was it was very interesting to see what was there, trying to find this, trying to find that, um, know where the different flavor components were coming from, and I'm excited to see what they do, you know, going forward with some different hop varieties. I mean, it's it's pretty interesting. It yeah. hopefully it helps you guys out because just yeah. like probably with the malt, you got to figure out each malter does things differently, and to be able to uh, you know do exactly what you need to do with each one. So. Right, and talking about kind of what beers lend themselves to, you know it all it's all everything works as a team but you know mm-hmm. it's uh beers one of those things where the, the, the sum is greater than uh, the, or the outcome is greater than the sum of all its parts if you use everything right and correctly and learning how to how to, and where to use do that stuff like you were mentioning michigan copper is good for uh we see it a lot in the, the whirlpool it's a good flavor addition it's got a lot of depth of flavor um we are experimenting with some different areas in the state to get a little bit more brightness out of it. We think we found an area for that, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. So it's going to completely change what you're going to be able to do with that particular 
growing region of Michigan copper, which is awesome because now, now basically we can have the same hop. You guys know exactly how to use it, and you can basically get two to three different flavors out of one single hop. Yeah. Use it together or independently. Yeah. Um, to be clear, Michigan copper is the name of the hop, yes. not necessarily where it's grown. Right. So there's, yes. there's New York State Michigan copper is a variety. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and was, that's one of your babies, or one of your, your yes. pride and joys for, for your farm. Yes, we, we took a shot at it. Um, it's a Great Lakes Hops uh, public proprietary, not exactly sure how they're listing it right now, but um, it's one of their first babies. It's got a lot of traction. We actually put it in well before it even had a name. Um, mm-hmm. We took a whack at it. Um, big gamble, I guess you could say, and it was a good one. Um, so I think our luck is... I'm not saying our luck's run out, but we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna tinker too much with that anymore because uh, we got that lucky. Um, but yes, it's it's been an awesome hop, um, particularly seeing the differences between Michigan and our farm, even and then our farm compared to say Willow Hop and Green in Central New York, and then another farm working with Cherry Lawn Fruit Farm uh, up on Lake Ontario. It's it's just it's it's pretty awesome. I mean, it's it basically gives you guys. Um, in a way, a, a secret weapon, kind of like what you can do with Amarillo right now with uh, what VGF is doing with placing it in different regions. It's 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 pretty nice. Is there is anybody leading the charge on hop breeding in New York State? Or is, or is there a program? Of, is that happening? So we don't have a program. Um, the Northeast Hop, Northeast Hop Alliance has collected, I think it was I think it was seventeen varieties um, to get sent out to Hop Center in Yakima to get them genetically tested to see. If they're, if they're wild hops, or heritage hops, or where's their lineage? If it's a you know a fuggle or a hallertau or a saz, usually are the, the main three, um, and then kind of go from there. And then they've applied for uh, an educational grant, um, so hopefully that comes through because then we can kind of place everything at the Geneva Extension Station uh, for Cornell University, and they can kind of tinker with it and see how they grow, and hopefully down the road start breeding with them. Um, I think there's some interest on private parties to do the same thing, um, and hopefully that continues to move forward. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a timely, timely <laughs> We're doing some electrical work here at the brewery. Very excited about that. New dishwasher's coming soon. <laughs> um, what, uh, uh, what things for New York State are, are we excited about then right now? So we have the, we have the, the New York State Brewers Association is doing another conference in, in early, early March. Um, for the second annual, which is kind of like our mini statewide CBC. Are there programs that, that are the hop growers are coming to that and, and are, are things set up for that? Yeah, we'll be coming up to that. Um, and then Northeast Hop Alliance also has uh, their annual meeting, which was back in December. Hopefully this next year we can get a little bit more involvement. Sure. We've, we've talked about maybe uh, joining forces with the malt community and do like um, a one, you know, kind of combine them together so that way the brewers only have to worry about going to one conference instead of multiple conferences because we're all busy. Um, and hoping you know that kind of moves forward as well. Uh, but as of right now, that's that's really it. Um, there might be some different open houses at different farms throughout the year as well. And uh, for the most part, I think North, Northeast Hoplites is going to just about all the different um, meetings, conferences, stuff like that for the Brewers Association and maybe a small forum, maybe not like everybody's there, but it's uh, usually uh, Steve Miller, our executive director, is there. Hey, uh, what, how can we best help the growth of, of New York State hops. Just 
Bye bye bye. Talk talk talk. It's uh, a little a little bit of both. It's 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 uh, creating a relationship with uh, with the farmers and the merchants that you're getting stuff from. Um, giving them positive feedback, um, constructive criticism. Don't be negative about it. Try to, but also don't. Uh, don't feel bad if you're giving them a bad report. You know they right. need to know. They, they need to. Yeah. You can't let them continue their practices the way they are if if it's not good. You know, and and going forward, you know, and then also word of mouth is good. If it's if it's good, it's, yeah, support it, buy it, use it. Maybe get it more into potentially get it more into more of your mainstay beers or something like that. So that way, it's more sustainable for both sides. Right. Um, Speaking of sustainability, I mean, it is really expensive to be a hop grower. It's really expensive to get a hop crop and a lot of patience a lot of time and a lot of energy uh, getting getting something to the point of selling. Why hop grow in New York State? Isn't the land better for something else that might be more sustainable for you as a farmer? Um, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, thanks for not, um, not looking the other side then. It's, <laughs> thanks uh, for making hops. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things that it's very it's a very rewarding crop. Like You get to see a, this little itty-bitty shoot come out of the ground. And it turns into this big, massive, eighteen foot, however tall your trellis is, big, Amen. massive plant. It's just like it, it, it really it probably just like you guys get the same, you know, buzz off from smelling a beer that you're just so pumped about. And you smell it, and you're like, yes, like that's kind yep. of the same thing when you sit there and you're like, days before harvest, and you're just admiring the work you got to do. Like it's it's awesome. So yeah. I, I think that you know we kind of got bit by the hop vine, I guess you could say, and we've been doing it ever since. Um, my family's always, you know, we've mostly done hay, there's corn years ago and everything. And How many generations is your farm? Is it I'm technically family? the seventh generation. Seventh generation, yes. wow. wow. Um, we've dated the one of our barns back to 1790, late 1790s. Um, the, the the county books go back to like, in the like early 1800s, so I'm not sure if there was a generation before that that... Uh, or a different family that built one of those barns, but uh, we used to be a tobacco plantation. So okay. um, we built the tobacco dryer that's there and everything. It's really cool. So okay. there's yeah, there's some heritage there, I guess, as that's well. Pretty amazing. So yeah, we'll yeah. see what happens. How many of the, of the family are still in in the family business, sir? Um, my so it's my wife basically now, and yeah. my four year old son, that's and my awesome. eight month old daughter. That'll probably be the farmer. <laughs> well, all right. Um, uh, my dad, my dad, the stepmother, and my uh, younger brother used to help out quite a bit um it's it's labor intensive um mm -hmm. they decided they wanted to concentrate on other stuff so which is fine um but yeah i, I really enjoy it so it's rewarding yeah the beer wouldn't happen without without that love and, and, yeah. and that kind of family beers people man so uh thanks for what you do thanks for putting this together and thank, thank you. you for my future order of of many many hops thank you i appreciate <laughs> it man cheers man chris holden from new york hop Hop Guild. Uh, if people want to be interactive or know more about the Guild, are there places they can go or, or join in the conversation, whether they're home brewers or other pro brewers that might be listening? Yes, we got our Instagram account at uh, nyhopguild, um, and then the, the website um, nyhopguild.com. Um, you can order hops online now. Um, we're usually pretty, we've been pretty aggressive on Lupin Exchange as well. So different places, um, Facebook obviously, but Instagram is one that we use most most often. Right on. Go there. Cheers. Forget about it. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. For the past 10 years, Heritage Radio Network has brought listeners around the world the most important voices in food and drink. I'm Matt Patterson, the lead engineer here at HRN. Six years ago, when I was teaching myself to brew beer out in San Diego, I listened to Heritage Radio shows for tips, tricks, and inspiration. 
Heritage Radio's programming simply would not be possible without the support of listeners like you. Become a member of Heritage Radio Network today and give HRN a strong start to our second decade. Choose from exclusive member gifts and stay in the loop on discounts to upcoming events. Now is the best time to show your support for HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Hey, welcome back to If Men About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Uh, next up, we have Mary Izette uh, on site at Kings County Brewers Collective interviewing Nakul Banzal from Great State Ale Works in India. Enjoy. All right, this is Mary, and I am at Kings County Brewing Collective in the Bushwick neighborhood of Brooklyn, New York. I am here with... Hey, I'm Nakul from Great State Ale Works, a brewery in India. And Tell me, where in India? So we are based in a city called Pune, which is uh, three hours away from Mumbai or Bombay. And we are a production-only brewery. We are 10 months old now. Uh, we are supplying to four cities close by, close to our city. And uh, yeah, I, I actually started brewing in Crown Heights when I was living here awesome. about four or five years ago. And that's when I went. I met Tony from KCBC. And then we've kind of been in touch. And then when he came down last last couple of months ago we did a collab brew with him which was india's probably first proper new england ipa awesome. and then uh, <laughs> i happened to visit my brother who lives in in the u.s and then we did a collab with kcbc which is a ipa with rice flakes and mangosteen Ooh, which mangosteen? Should, mangosteen awesome. yeah and you guys just just did that like two weeks ago Very cool. and i think I, i'll miss the tapping because i'm heading out in two days but by wednesday they, they should be the beer should be ready so so tell me, how did you, so you started brewing when you were in Crown Heights here in yeah, New York, yeah. and then when you went to India, yeah. or back to India, I'm yeah. not sure if that's where you're from, yeah. but um, what, you know, how'd you keep going? Did you keep home brewing, and what, what was sourcing ingredients like? Yeah. So I actually brewed way more, home brewed way more in India than here. I did a few batches here. I used to go to Bitter and Esther's, mm-hmm. and John gave me my first kit and all that, and then I, I moved back, and I started home brewing. So I couldn't take my kit, because it's too much, you know, luggage yeah. to carry, so in India, at least three, four years ago, you had to go to different markets, like the steel market for a boil kettle and the uh, uh, the plastic market for a you know food grade uh, fermenter and all these things. But then you kind of source all this. There are a bunch of craft breweries that started five to eight years ago. They're really nice. So my first set of ingredients came from them directly. So that's that's they helped us. But now things have changed. New home brewers. There are a couple of websites. That are giving equipment, that are that, that are supplying uh, ingredients directly. Plus, there are way more home brewers. Uh, uh, I mean, way more breweries. So breweries like mine are always giving. We always give out, you know, ingredients to home brewers and just just as long as they give us a few pints. Awesome. Yeah. So tell me what what you brew. So, uh, so uh, I I love IPAs. So when when Great Sea started, we made it a point to always have one IPA on on tap at all our accounts. So that was more for personal uh, want. Uh, wheat beer, which is what sells the most in India, whether it's a German or Belgian, uh, is is our cash cow. So we, we have a our version of a Belgian wit, which is a which is a these two a pale ale and a, and the wit are our flagship beers. A third one keeps rotating. So we did a saison in the summer. 
we did a colch uh, couple of months ago and now we are on a golden eel belgian golden eel and when tony came we switched out our IP, uh, pale ale with the new england ipa and we've just been doing that we're on a fourth fourth brew awesome so talk about sourcing your ingredients there mm, everything okay so hops are fully imported so we have your our hops come from europe so if they're american hops there's a european distributor who then sells it to an indian distributor and then we we get it mm-hmm. decently fresh hops not not super fresh but like the same year harvest yep now that's pretty good uh, yeast is all imported so most breweries will use dry yeast because it's 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 easiest yep. some that's breweries right. yeah yep. yeah and some breweries have their own labs so kind of you know they, they get liquid yeast they propagate and then they use that and malt so base malt we can use six row base malt which is grown in india which is sold also to the big commercial breweries so we kind of use that for our for our base beers and then any kind of specialty malt is imported so it's wyman or it's castle which is what it's coming into india there's also irex from germany cool so yeah and then what what is the craft beer market look like in india i mean i feel like you know here it's evolved pretty drastically over the last you know 5 10 15 years so what does it look like over there so india has i think three pockets of brewing one is in pune bombay one is in bangalore these two are good pockets a lot of indians who was who were studying in the us who started home brewing sort of quit their jobs move back home and set up breweries so you you see a lot of experimentation with breweries in 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 these two two pockets where we are trying to use local ingredients and we are you know trying to do new things and like you know because they're all home brewers uh, there's also north india where there's a different pocket where where we don't relate to because they're more more in it for the commercial point of view and their beers are not good and so that's that's how we we would i i would distinguish the two 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 types and it's it's good within bombay and pune we have now i think about 30 breweries in bangalore alone there are about 40 breweries so that's that's just one big city but this 40 is a good number yeah for and sure yeah and it's it's growing only only difference that i relate to from my time here versus my time in india there are not as many home brewers so the home brewing community is very tiny so they are not able to make an impact either by setting up their own breweries or going and demanding good beer because they know what good beer is the indian consumer doesn't know what uh, what a uh, double is because he's never had a belgian double so his first introduction of a brewery making a double is his reference point so i think that's a challenge that we all face because we have to tell them that you know this is different than what you've been drinking but this is actually what it should be yeah yeah but we we just we where we are so new and young that we all just try to focus on you know making good beer not not bothering too much with guidelines bjcp guidelines yep. because we can't <coughs> It's too new for us to try to do that. As long as the beer doesn't have off flavors, as long as it's clean, it's it's good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And then I'd ask you about bars. So you're distributing, self-distributing yeah. yes. in India. Yes. So what is the setup with bars? Uh, that's I think one of the biggest challenges for me as a brewer is that I, I I'm not just a brewer. I'm also an operations guy because bars in India don't have dispensing setups at all. So, so they don't have cold rooms. They don't have cold they rooms. They don't have glycol lines. No way, nothing, nothing. So they don't have kegerators. They don't have taps. They have nothing. So 
a brewery that started five years ago or maybe four years ago in, in Bombay kind of showed us, the new guys, the path where they went and convinced various bars, about 80 bars in Bombay alone to set up kegerators. And and because of them, and, and they're not giving these kegerators for free because as small breweries, we, we can't set up these things. Like if you, if you see big breweries like Kingfisher and Budweiser, they're coming to India and giving up, giving free dispensing setups, which we can't. So, so a, the bigger struggle has been done by these the first couple of guys for us it's it's easy it's still a bit challenging but it's easy so what we do is we go and tell a restaurant that okay you should have craft beer if they're convinced we will set up their whole dispensing system we'll train their guys on on dispensing on co2 and 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 all that and then uh, i have a, a dedicated service guy who's just running around from one account to the other making sure lines are clean making sure you know, we're trading them and so that, that's a challenge because it's not just making beer, filling it in a keg and dis- uh, di- distributing. It's yeah. also, is it being poured well and what's happening? Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> I think there are six or seven bars now in Bombay and Pune that have set up their own distribution systems, own dispensing setups, which is great. So we are, we and a bunch of other breweries are encouraging them to set up their own sets dispensing units so that you know they're not bound to me right. to take beer from me just just have six taps and take the six best beers because I know out of six I know I can get two taps and that's good enough for me yeah, <laughs> yeah. so what's your next what are you looking forward to what do you want to do as far as beer styles or yeah. or you know yeah um great state my brewery is is very focused on using local ingredients so we've used very unconventional ingredients which are typically used in Indian cooking you know like souring agents in cooking to, to make a sour beer we have made we've used like lemon zest from special limes from East India so I want to continue that and being so when you yeah. say souring agents yeah. talk, talk a little bit about that so there's, there's a uh, there's a uh, ingredient called kokum kokum is a cousin or from the same family as the mangosteen um, kokum is the the skin of the kokum fruit is dried and then used in fish curries on the coastal uh, on coastal side to make sour fish curries. Kokum is also used to make a kokum syrup for a, a summer drink, a, a non-alcoholic beverage that we all grew up drinking called kokum sharbat. Sharbat meaning juice, so kokum juice. So we, we, are, we are adding kokum into our saison. So it, it's got this beautiful red color from kokum. It's a it's 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 got this mild sourness like a Berliner Weiss or a Goza without actually going into kettle souring or into uh, using you know lacto or bread, yep. which is great. So uh, things like that is what we are focused on. Awesome. And uh, being here in the US, you know, I always go to breweries that ha- that are trying a lot of different styles. So I'm I'm trying this lactose and coffee. Blondale, so I'm like, great, that's, that's interesting because those kind of things will work in India. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the, the New England IPA. After Tony brewed a batch with us, we're on our third, fourth full fourth batch now. And it's it's, it's good response. So we'll, we'll continue making low bitter but super juicy IPAs and maybe even try using ingredients which can complement the hops when we dry hop and see how that goes. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me. So, if people were to, to find you on the internet, where would they go? Uh, we are we are uh, on Instagram, on Facebook. It's greatstate.ilworks. Cool. So, yeah. You can, awesome. You can thank you so much. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Fermenta Matter on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Uh, if you like what you're listening, please support this radio station by clicking on the beating heart at the top right of your screen when you get to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Fermenta Matter. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.